1: As a new Western Union customer, you can enjoy a $0 transfer fee on your first international online money transfer. Send money to your loved ones back home the fast, easy, and reliable way. Visit westernunion.com or download their app today to get started. And your first transfer fee is free. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983 or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985. FX Gain Supply.
2: Yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe
3: in yesterday. That piece of music has a title. It's called Yesterday, a Lennon-McCartney song. But here we pause for a spoiler alert. What you have just heard was performed by Stroll Down Penny Lane, not the Beatles. And that is just what you are in for, a stroll down Penny Lane. And this is Joe Anastasi, your narrator for our exploration back through time. In fact, covering some 65 years of music where we celebrate the life and music of Paul McCartney. Okay, let's dig in. Let's investigate this song of Paul's, Yesterday. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now, if we are going to start at the beginning, we might as well examine where this song came from, its origin, so to speak. This will comprise the first thread in our narrative today. So let's see what Paul McCartney has said about the origins of this song. He has described that the song came to him as he woke one morning. Upon realizing this, he rushed to the piano to figure it out, so it wouldn't be lost to him. And then he has said that for several weeks afterwards, he would ask people if they recognized the song. In other words, he was asking, did it already exist? They all assured him that the song was unique, that it was indeed his song. Barry Miles, who has served as Paul's biographer, was struck by Paul's description of this, of how the song had come to Paul as he woke that one morning. And this is the observation that Barry Miles posed. He has said that it would be interesting to know what it was that Paul had been listening to before Paul had fallen asleep the evening before. Now that is a darn good question. But how can we unravel this mystery? Well, there are a couple of clues that we can investigate. First, though, let's lay some groundwork. To fit the pieces together, we need to examine something that underlies a song, the chord progression that underlies the melody to a song. So in search of this, we find our first clue to this song, Yesterday, in an interview Paul provided to Playboy magazine in 1984. For here, Paul provided some of the details that actually transpired that morning when he awoke with this song, Yesterday, almost fully formed in his head. I just fell out of bed, Paul said, found out what key I had dreamt it in, and it seemed near G, and I played it. Okay. Let's stop the tape at this point, so to speak, and review. Here, Paul is saying that the key of the song was the key of G, at least to begin with. Let's continue with what Paul described happened that morning when he went to the piano. And I got a couple of chords to it, he described. I got the G. Then Paul says this, and this is the essential point right from the outset. So let's focus on what Paul said next. Then I got the nice F sharp minor seventh. That was the big wah. So here we are, that F sharp minor seventh chord, Paul's big wah moment, would sound just like this. (laughs) We need to focus on this statement of Paul's, for this is our Rosetta Stone, which will help us unlock the mysteries surrounding this
1: song. Hey, Joe, what is this Rosetta Stone business?
3: Ah, talk back, Mike. Glad you asked. The Rosetta Stone is a stone slab from ancient Egypt with a message engraved on its face. The problem was, no one could understand the hieroglyphs. They were a lost language. But the Rosetta Stone contained three sets of inscriptions on its face, and each said the same exact thing. Now, because scholars could still read the ancient Greek script that was inscribed on the stone, they could use this script as a key to unlock what it was that the hieroglyphic pictographs were attempting to communicate. The importance of the Rosetta Stone was that it provided a way to decode these hieroglyphs.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh. Rabbit hole, Joe. You pulled us all into another rabbit hole.
3: And so I did. Where was I?
1: You were describing the chord structure in Paul's song yesterday and how it serves as a kind of Rosetta Stone to unlock the mystery of the origin of his song.
3: Good. You were paying attention. Anyhow back to Paul McCartney and the chord structure that unlocks the mystery underlying his song yesterday. Let's listen to the chords at the beginning of this song, for here we find a number of clues. Let's recap what Paul said. And I got a couple of chords to it. I got the G... Then I got the nice F-sharp minor 7th. That was the big
1: wah. G, the one chord. F-sharp minor 7, the 7 minor 7 chord.
3: So let's stop here to address this question. Why does Paul describe this as being the big wah moment? The answer is because that specific chord is the key that unlocks the mystery of the origin of the song the Rosetta Stone, if you will. When Paul moved to this unusual chord, it allowed Paul to enter through a sort of portal to follow a trail leading him to the next chord. And this is occurring after only one measure of the verse. The original chord, the G chord, was the one chord in this key center. Then Paul moved to the seven minor seven chord, and then he next went to the three chord. The easy way to remember all of this is to simply call it a one to seven to three progression. And that, my friends, unlocks yet another door. For that last chord I just mentioned, the three chord is key to what happens next. For if this chord is followed by a chord with an E as its root note, it will sound very pleasing to our ears. One key ingredient to this secret sauce is that this last chord, the E minor chord, turns out to be the relative minor of the original key center. And this new chord brings with it a mournful tonality. And here is how Paul has described exactly this. That led very naturally to the B, which led very naturally to the E minor. It just kept sort of tumbling out with these chords. Unquote. Now, this description is probative, probative. Because he has described that as he sat there at the piano that morning, that the chords came tumbling out somehow. Let's focus on this tumbling out experience that Paul has described in that interview because in just three sentences, he has fundamentally described the operation of something in music that is referred to as the circle of fifths. And if we now retrace Paul's steps, we can discover why it was that these chords came tumbling out for him. So let's do it. In that very moment, the moment that Paul had found his way to that wah chord, the F sharp minor seventh chord, the seven chord, a kind of portal opened up for him. And to step through this circle of fifths portal, Paul had to simply reimagine this wah chord, this F sharp minor seventh chord that we can hear just now, to be a five chord. And then he simply walked down from the fifth degree in the musical scale to the first degree to find its related one chord. And we can do this same process ourselves. We begin with this F sharp minor seventh chord, and then we walk down like this five, four, three, two, one. After walking from the fifth degree to the first, we have landed on the B chord, just as Paul did. Recall, these were his words, quote, which led very naturally to the B, end quote. Now to our brains, when we hear these two chords sounding this way, one right after the other, first this F sharp minor seventh chord, then just after it, this B chord, It is pleasing, for we have heard chords resolving in this manner many times in our lives. Stated another way, our brains form a kind of instantaneous expectation that the chords will resolve in this way. And when the chords are resolved in this way, our brains experience a sense of satisfaction. And with this fulfillment of an expectation, Our brains receive a squirt of dopamine. So let's continue now with our exploration of Paul's chords tumbling out epiphany. So what was it that he said next? He said this, quote, which led very naturally to the E minor. It just kept sort of tumbling out with those chords. End quote. So let's explore how it was that this last chord, this E minor chord, kind of just tumbled out for Paul McCartney that morning on the piano. He found the B chord, and with this, he simply traveled down another five notes to find its related one chord. And we can do it ourselves, just like this. Five, four, three, two, one. And we've landed on the E root for an E minor chord, just like Paul found it. And this is the result. All my trouble seems so far away. But Paul McCartney was wary. Here is another quote from him. We were always very careful. The great danger with writing is that you write someone else's song without realizing it. You spend three hours and you've written a Bob Dylan classic this one, I was convinced, was just something I had heard before. I said to people, well, it can't be mine. I just woke up dreaming it. And Paul acted upon this belief. He said, I went around for weeks playing the chords of the song for people, asking them, is this like something? I think I've written it. And people would say, no, it's not like anything else, but it's good. In the quote of Paul's that I just recounted, Paul says, I went around for weeks playing the chords for people. So let's focus on these chords just as Paul had. And now we will lower the key center to semitones to the key of F, which is what Paul ultimately settled on in order to best match his singing voice. And with this, our Rosetta Stone chord progression is as follows. Start with a one chord. Then move to the 7 chord, then to the 3 chord, and then settle next on the 6 minor chord. And here is how it sounds. Suddenly, I'm not
2: half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging.
3: Suddenly. And in Paul's song, with this unusual chord progression showing up right at the beginning of the song, it has the effect of transporting us right out of the box into the mournful sound of that relative minor chord. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. That's the elegance of this movement we labeled as a 7 minor 7 to a 3 to a 6-minor chord progression. And the result of this is that the notes that Paul chose to use in the melody are unusual and distinctive. Okay, we've covered the first thread in our narrative, the origin of this song, Yesterday. Now, let's dig into the second thread in our story, which is this. Why it is that this song, Yesterday, is difficult to sing. Correctly, that is, Dominic Pedler is a musicologist and author. In performing his research for his book, Songwriting Secrets of the Beatles, he interviewed several other prominent musicologists. And in performing this research, Dominic Pedler was surprised to find that one song was singled out in this research as being particularly difficult to sing. He wrote that of all the musicologists he interviewed, They identified Paul's song yesterday as being the song having the melody that was particularly difficult to sing. In fact, even on the first note of this song, most singers will start out on the wrong foot. But before we get to this wrong foot business, let's re-review the actual key center that this song is really in. Now, you will recall that Paul described that the key center in which he had dreamt this song was the key of G, and then he later changed it to better fit his voice. So with that, he decided that the key of F was the better key for this song yesterday for him to sing. But here's the thing. On a guitar, the key of F is a more difficult key to play. You have to stretch your hand with all these bar chords. So, Paul came up with a simple solution. Anyhow, good old Paul devised a simple expedient. He decided to continue to physically play the song on the guitar. As if it were in the key of G, but to match what he was playing on the guitar to what he was singing in the key of F, he tuned the guitar down two semitones, so that now a G on the guitar would sound like an F to our ears. And to tune a guitar down like this, you simply loosen its strings. Now, by this time in his career, Paul had obtained a nice acoustic guitar. An Epiphone Texan guitar. This guitar is important to this song yesterday because this particular guitar is so large it has a big, booming bottom-end sound. The bass frequencies are accentuated. And when Paul loosened the strings to lower the guitar's pitch to semitones, this booming bass effect became even more prominent. So when Paul would now strike this opening on this guitar, this is the sound you get.
1: Joe? Joe?
3: Here I am. Oh, I almost forgot. There was one more aspect that contributes to the unique sound of the first chord played on this guitar. The way Paul voiced this chord on the guitar, well, it's got no third.
1: You're going to have to explain that one, Joe. It's got no third what.
3: Sure. Let's try it this way. A major chord has three notes, the root, a major third, and a fifth, what is called a perfect fifth. It sounds like this.
1: One, three, five.
3: But in his voicing of this chord on his guitar, Paul omitted the major third interval of the chord.
2: One, five.
3: But let's listen to the chord when it's played on a guitar that is tuned down two semitones. From this chord, one cannot discern if we are in a major happy sunny key or a minor sad sounding key. And this is because the critical note that would tell us the answer to this, the third, is missing. Here is the sound on a guitar when arpeggiated. And here is the same chord on the intro to this song. It is the signature sonic element of the song. The first thing we hear. How's that for progress? We've covered the intro to the song. Now, where was
1: I? You were saying that on the very first note of the song, most singers start out on the wrong foot.
3: Got it. So here we go. The wrong foot is this. We'll call out the pitches as we go. Yesterday, FFM The correct melody, the way Paul sings this, most of the time anyway, is this. Yesterday, GFM That first note should be a G, then falling two semitones to an F. So the effect of this is that Paul establishes that the very first pitch of this melody is on the second degree of the scale. Then he has the melody falling mournfully to the root note of the scale. It is unique. Why do I say that he does this most of the time? Well, for two reasons. In the third verse of this song, Paul does a variation. He changes the first pitch to be on the third degree of the scale. Then he has the melody fall to the root note of the scale. Most singers don't get this right. In fact, if you buy the sheet music to this song, chances are... are... The music publisher ignored this subtlety as well. Maybe to save on printer's ink. In any event, the third verse opens like this. Yesterday, the amusing thing is that even as I was writing this story, another musicologist happened to point out this very same discrepancy. This musicologist is David Bennett of David Bennett Piano. You'll find him on YouTube. He pointed out this variation on how people incorrectly sing this first pitch, just like I have highlighted here. And then he went on to point out that even Paul McCartney was off a bit in the original recording. In other words, that Paul, of all people now, sang the first pitch of this song a little flat. (gasps) And our musicologist, David Bennett, proves this up by using a computer algorithm to analyze the sound file from the original recording of Paul's singing. And our musicologist did this by having his computer analyze the frequency of Paul's vocalization of the pitch. That is, calculate where the pitch was landing as compared to where it should be landing which points out, to me at least, the very human aspect of Paul's recording, which is this. Humans are not perfect. We get the little variation in someone's singing of a pitch. It's what can make a song intimate and real. Not to sidetrack here, but
1: rabbit hole alert here, Joe. Rabbit hole alert. I heard you used the word sidetrack. I'm always listening out for when you get sidetracked on one of your little detours.
3: This will be quick. Stay with me for a moment. The notion of the human aspect of someone's variable singing of a pitch is illustrated in the song, The Girl from Ipanema. I should also say here that we, TBM and I usually do our own recordings of all the songs you hear on this podcast series. But just this once, we'll go to the original for a couple of seconds, because it demonstrates this point. original recording, the lyrics were sung by João Gilberto's wife, 24-year-old Astrid Gilberto. The lyrics had been written in Portuguese. It turns out that in the recording studio, the producers decided they needed someone to sing this new song in English, which she could do. Astrid Gilberto, however, had never sung professionally before. But it was exactly because of her lack of professional experience that the magic happened, because it was her untrained, beguiling voice that made this song very human and real, bringing Bossa Nova to a global audience. But now, back to Paul's song, Yesterday, when he sings that line, All my troubles... He uses a mixture of the major scale and the melodic minor. In fact, that first pitch or note of that line, All My Troubles, is unusual. This is because the note he is singing is what is called a suspended fourth or sus four. And this is occurring over that very unusual seven chord, Paul's so called wah chord. This is another one of the reasons the melody Paul created for this song is so difficult to sing. Correctly. Here it is. We're looking for this unusual pitch on that lyric. Aw. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. All right, here in this second thread of our narrative, we have explored the structural underpinnings of this song and why it is so famously difficult to sing correctly. And, you will recall that in the first thread of our narrative, we explored the origin of this song, its creation myth, if you will. Let's turn now to our third thread, which is the meaning of Paul's song, Yesterday. Perhaps the most famous song that Paul McCartney has written. To explore this, the meaning of Paul's song, Yesterday, we now turn a spotlight on the other song, the song that got away. Let's set the table first. After the chords and the underlying melody for yesterday came to Paul McCartney in that dream, that one morning, nothing happened. What do I mean? I mean nothing happened at all with respect to the lyrics of the song. In fact, it took almost two full years for yesterday to be recorded after Paul first dreamt the song. But throughout this time, Paul was playing the song all the time, humming the melody and messing with placeholder lyrics as he went. In fact, this is all that he had. Scrambled eggs, oh my darling, you've got lovely legs. Now, this was all transpiring during the filming of the Beatles movie, Help.
2: When I was younger, so much younger than today I never needed anybody's help in any way But now those days are gone, I'm not so self-assured And now I find I've changed my mind
3: On the movie set for this film, Help!, the director, Richard Lester, was agitated from hearing Paul McCartney incessantly playing his scrambled eggs version of yesterday. In fact, Paul was so obsessed with playing it that the director actually threatened to throw the piano completely off the set if Paul didn't complete the song properly. Now, it transpired that during a break in filming, Paul headed off to Portugal with his girlfriend, Jane Asher for a holiday stay at a friend's home. After landing in Portugal, Paul and Jane were in a hired car for a five-hour drive to get to their destination. It was a long, hot, dusty drive, Paul McCartney revealed to Barry Miles in an interview. Jane was sleeping, but I couldn't. But back to our story now, it was during that long drive, that day, after months of struggling with the creative process, that the first word of the lyrics to this song came to Paul. This first word was composed of three syllables, exactly what was needed for this song. Yesterday. And with that, the magical door had opened for Paul. The door that opened for him was this. The song he was creating would be a remembrance of something that had once happened. And we will explore the mystery, shrouding the answer to the question of what Paul's song yesterday is all about. And to do this, we will use another song that Paul has brought up, in fact, several times. And so I will refer to this as this other song that got away, and we will explore Paul's mentioning of it to provide a sort of window for us to go through. We'll be right back after this short break, so stay with us. Penny Lane
2: is in my ears And meanwhile back...
3: Welcome back. This is Joe Anastasi of Stroll Down Penny Lane. Let's pick up, once more, on the final thread of our narrative. This other song, The One That Got Away. Paul McCartney, the man who wrote this song yesterday and some 500 others, some of the most famous songs ever written, was asked if there was one song he had wished he had written. And he answered, yes. And so what is this song that Paul has said he wished he'd written? It's this one. pause just here, because now we've come to the part of our story that involves another person who also contributed to making this song famous. Her name was Eva Cassidy, and this is what Paul McCartney has said of Eva Cassidy and this other song he wished he'd written. Quote, Fields of Gold is a great song. And Eva Cassidy does a really cool version of it. It's such a soulful story, End quote. The soulful story that Paul refers to is significant to this song. Let's explore what Paul means by this. But here, we need the services of our little time machine. It's evening, and we've landed outside a small restaurant in Washington, D.C. The year is 1996. We're on the sidewalk now, and through the storefront windows of this restaurant, we can see a young woman sitting on a stool playing a guitar. She is singing into a microphone. This young lady is Eva Cassidy a 32-year-old singer-songwriter. Most times when Eva Cassidy has managed to book a solo engagement, it would be at a small restaurant such as this one. Let's review her career. Eva Cassidy's attempts at getting a recording contract had failed. In a last-ditch effort, she decided to try a different route. She decided she would record a live album, and she would do this by funding it herself. Remember. This is before Kickstarter, and the idea was that she would record it at a small nightclub called Blues Alley. To finance this recording, she drained her small savings account, took a cash advance on her credit card, and made use of a $1,000 gift from her aunt. Now, she had to decide the specific songs to record. When Eva Cassidy had first heard the song that we are now focusing on, Eva had it on a cassette tape and she would play it every time she was in a car for three days straight. The song was Fields of Gold, written by Sting, and this is how Keith Grimes, the lead guitarist in Eva's band, recollected the very moment that Eva had first played her arrangement of this song for him. Quote, Eva came over to my house when she played this song "'Tears rolled down my cheeks, "'which is something that happens to everybody, I suppose. "'I had heard Sting's recording, "'but the way she put it across just overwhelmed me. "'I think I said, you've got me, and blew my nose. "'Eva reached over and put her hand on my arm, "'sort of comfortingly. "'She just laughed. "'It was a nice moment.'" In January of 1996, Eva Cassidy recorded her live performance of this song, Fields of Gold. Five months later, this song was included on her CD, Live at Blues Alley. A short five months after this, Eva Cassidy died at the age of 33. Her life was abruptly cut short by metastatic melanoma cancer, a deadly form of skin cancer. Eva Cassidy, passing from life at such a young age, gone forever at the age of 33. And so her arrangement of this song, Fields of Gold, is what we present today. But there is another part to this story of Eva Cassidy and this song. Almost 10 years after the passing of Eva Cassidy, champion ice skater Michelle Kwan electrified a worldwide audience as she skated to Eva Cassidy's version of this song, Fields of Gold. Eva's guitarist was proud to have his guitar playing be a component of Michelle Kwan's artistic expression. And as Eva's vocals came across the PA system in the big arena in Salt Lake City, that evening her guitarist said this It was thrilling Eva finally got the reverb she was crazy for Let's contrast these two songs, the one that got away, the one song that Paul McCartney says he had wished that he had written, and the other, Paul McCartney's song Yesterday, the song having the most recorded covers by other artists ever in the history of recorded music, a song that represents a lament of something lost forever, a song that perhaps serves as a metaphor of life, about Paul's loss of his mother when he was a boy. Let's visit this bit of history about Paul's mother who had passed, like Eva Cassidy, without warning, suddenly and without explanation. To explore the ramifications of this, let's go back in time to the year 1956. We have landed in Liverpool in 1956, and we are at Liverpool's Northern Hospital. Earlier this day, October 31st, 1956, Paul McCartney, only 14 years old, and his brother Michael, two years younger, were led into their mother's hospital room. The two boys had not even been aware of her illness as their mother had sought to spare them from the news. At his mother's bedside in the hospital room, Paul could observe recent bloodstains on the sheets. This is when he began to absorb the truth. Later that day, Paul's mother, Mary McCartney, slipped into a coma and died from inoperable breast cancer. Observing his father break down in tears turned out to be the second shock that day for the 14-year-old Paul McCartney. That was the worst thing for me, Paul would later say, seeing my father cry. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. Now, do this for me, please. Imagine, for a moment, being a young boy like Paul McCartney, with a loving mother, seemingly healthy and well one day, and the next day without any warning at all she is in the hospital and then she's gone and without explanation for paul's mother hadn't wanted to alarm her two young boys
2: why she
3: had to go i don't know she wouldn't say so imagine the shock to a young boy in the hospital room where his mother lay dying this coming upon Paul McCartney and his younger brother seemingly overnight, without notice. Now, let's examine the lyrics to his song yesterday. Did the lyrics to this song come from somewhere deep inside Paul, from his subconscious? Did these lyrics represent a lament about what he, the young teenager, had said that day, as a young boy, in that hospital room, when his mother was laying dying? Let me explain. In 1956, the McCartney family was far from well off. At that time, his mother's earnings as a midwife had provided more than half of the income for the McCartney family, and the 14-year-old teenager Paul McCartney was keenly aware of this fact. So this is the question. Did the lyrics to this song of Paul's represent a heartfelt lament about his remembrance of him being a young boy in that hospital room, saying without thought to his father, what are we going to do without her money? So this is the question we address at this moment, Were the lyrics to this song, Yesterday, written by the young man, Paul McCartney, but now 10 years later, as a worldwide success, recalling with embarrassment, having said this as a 14-year-old teenager, as his mother lay dying in a hospital bed. Imagine for a moment this now more mature young man at the moment when he jotted down the lyrics for this song at a time now later in his life where he had more money than he could ever have imagined. So was this song in part a lament about having said that as a young boy thinking about what the family would do for money instead of crying for his mother?
2: I said
3: something Paul has conceded that subconsciously this song may have been about the loss of his mother, but the thing for him, and for John Lennon as well, who also as a teenager had similarly lost his mother, was simply this. And these are Paul's words now, quote, Where they had come from, it didn't do to talk about things like that, end quote. And so let's complete this last thread in our story about Paul McCartney, the man who wrote this song yesterday and some 500 others, some of the most famous songs ever written. This is the question that was put to him. Was there one song that he wished he had written? And we know that Paul responded that yes, there was one song that he would have liked to have written. His answer was that he wished he had written Fields of Gold, a song written by Sting. Sting, who saw in the waving field of barley in the sunlight a metaphor of a man and a woman. And in the lyrics to this song, he wrote of their love and of their legacy together in their life. And we know that Paul McCartney was moved by Eva Cassidy's transformation of this song. Let's examine this as well. Eva Cassidy majestically altered the range of the melody of this song. She did this several times in her presentation. She did this by having the melody ascend to the very heights. And each time she did this, a different part of the story, being told in the lyrics, became accentuated by her. This is unity. Unity between the performer and the song. Here is an example where she did it for the third and final time in the song.
2: See the
3: truth. Eva Cassidy's change to this melody, this soaring vocal here, underscores a key alteration that is unfolding in the narrative of the lyrics. Eva's presentation focuses attention on a change that has occurred in the storytelling within the song. It's the third time she has soared in the melody, and the first two times she did this effectively established the situation. But now, this third time... With the lyrics to the song, she focuses us on two discrete changes in perspective that are being offered in the lyric. The first change in perspective is that we can now see the children of the two lovers, their children, growing up, because we see their children playing in the fading sunlight. And this is what Eva Cassidy expressed. See the children. But there is something else in this lyric that is fundamentally changing the narrative arc of the story. This last change in perspective is this. The sun is going down on the lifetime of the two lovers. More than that, though, there is one key word in the lyric here that fundamentally transforms our perspective. What I mean by this is that our point of view actually changes. One word, you may ask? One word changes our point of view? Well, the one word that has been changed for the first time in the lyric is the word you. So what, you might say, it's only one word. The significance of this one word is that it is in the singular tense. This word you is referring to only one person. Stated another way, in the story that is being told in this song, where there was once two young lovers, now, just at this moment, the lyrics for the first time refer not to two people walking in this field of gold. Now, the lyrics refer to the existence of only one person in this story. The change that we can discern now is that the story is a reflective lament, and it comes as a surprise to us. That is, the song is no longer about two lovers who exist. For one of the two lovers is no longer alive. And with this song, the departed lover tells his spouse as she lies in this field of gold to remember him.
2: See the children.
3: And this is the treasure in Sting's lyrics to this song. For he reminds the woman in this song, and all of us really, that as her memories fade and as she grows older, she'll still have her one memory of what once was. The memory of her lover who no longer is with us when the west wind moves among the fields of barley.
2: You can tell the sun in his jealous sky When we walked in fields of gold When we walked in fields of gold When we walked in fields of gold
3: Perhaps it is the elegance of this story arc of two young lovers and then later of their children and at last just the memory of the one who is now gone forever. That so captivated Paul McCartney to cause Paul to freely volunteer that this was the one song that he wished he had written. For there is a statement that I, your narrator, can always recall, though now I can no longer remember where I had first heard it or perhaps had read it. But the statement was something like this that the essence of art is something that succeeds in capturing your mind to reflect on something, if even for a moment, whether it be a painting on a wall in a museum or a song written by Sting, Fields of Gold, as transformed by Eva Cassidy, expressing the storyline of an entire lifetime encapsulated within the lyrics of one song, or a song like Yesterday, written by Paul McCartney, with his lyrics expressing, for all of us, a wistful longing for something that once was.
2: Yesterday why
3: And I hope you enjoyed this podcast of Stroll Down Penny Lane. Please join us again next time as we explore further the life and music of Paul McCartney. And come see us at one of our shows if you are in the neighborhood. You'll find us at strolldownpennylanecom slash podcast or with your favorite podcast app. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. And